Thanks for joining us for another great message from Influences Church Australia. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, blesses you and brings you joy. For more information about our church, go online to influences.church. And now for our message. You know, I remember growing up and uh, uh, one of the great innovations when I was a kid was the invention of vitamin C tablets. They are probably around for a long time, but those ones you could suck, you know, and your mum would give one every day and and all week, you know, uh, since the beginning of the week, I've been battling a little bit of a cold. It's okay, it's not COVID. I've tested myself a few times. I know people are so worried now. And, uh, and so I had vitamin C, zinc and C, zinc and C, which you only, again, only get in Adelaide. Uh, and so I was sucking on these tablets and thinking about how wonderful. I've been taking my Barocca this week because I believe in a balanced diet, donuts and Barocca. It's just the perfect balance. And I realised that, you know, uh, these things like Barocca, things like vitamin C are great supplements. You know, they are a great addition to our Western diet. And they really help you uh, stay healthy, vitamin E and so on. But you know, we know that they're a supplement, not a replacement because they're great additions, but you wouldn't stop eating fruit and vegetable um, to just eat Barocca and vitamin C, unless of course you've got the additional nutrients of a Balfour's donut. And uh, you know, I just wanna say, you know, online is a great supplement, but it's not a replacement. And unless you're sick or infirmed or traveling, it's fantastic supplement for all those kind of things. Because the church, and we've been talking about the church and I wanna go right in here, you know, the church is the gathering. That word ecclesia means gathering. And it means that the church, in order to be the church, needs to be gathered together because we're not in a classroom where we're learning about the Bible or facts and so on about spiritual things. We are in a gathering. More happens outside of the preaching and the worship than just the preaching and the worship. And we need all of that. That all happens in the gathering. And I really believe that God wants us to get that revelation, you know, uh, with the way the world is. Who, who believes the world is more unstable than it's ever been for a long, long time? You know, certainly in my lifetime, in my 30 plus years, it's, uh, it's been, it's the most unstable it's been. Think about the war in the Ukraine and think about what's happening with inflation. Think about uh, what's happening with social issues. Think about the anti-Christian sentiment that's growing around the place. Think about all of the protests and all of the things that have been taking place. I can't remember in my entire life being locked down for two years like we had with COVID. And, and who says that's the end of it? That might be just the beginning of more to come. Let's pray that we're not living in 1984. You know, it's it, we're living in those kinds of times. And in those kinds of times, we need to dig deeper into understanding foundational things that help us live life. Now, why did God create the church? You know, a lot of people believe God created the church because 12 lonely disciples were sad that their friend had gone to heaven. And so they met together for therapy and for small groups. And somehow it eventuated into the church. We really don't think about it. Or maybe we think that because there's a lot of emphasis on the church and the day of Pentecost, that unless we have a day of Pentecost kind of church, then we're kind of in something inferior to that. And I know all my life will always be 
been waiting for that day of Pentecost moment. But I want to tell you, there was only one day of Pentecost. There was only one moment in that. You know, and there were those moments where God pours out His Spirit throughout history, but they aren't every single day. And, you know, He met with the children of Israel on Mount Horeb and He gave them the Ten Commandments and He met with them and the, and the mountains shook and so on. But then they had to walk out the revelation. And yet we need to understand and we need to have a greater, a greater desire and a greater passion for something that Jesus as he, lay, as, he, as he was hung, hanging on a cross with blood pouring out of his hands with exhaustion and pain and the worst kind of trauma, being whipped 39 times with cat nine tails, having his internal organs exposed and he's doing it all, not just so that you find Jesus, not just so that we have personal redemption, but he's actually doing it to build and create the church. The church wasn't created by some man. It's not run by some man. When we try to invert it and run it like the world, we fail because it's a God-inspired structure that must be run the way God prescribes in the New Testament. Now, there's no uh, church in the Old Testament because God spoke to the children of Israel as a nation. The church was created, I want you to hear this. The church was created specifically, spitting everywhere, for non-Jewish Christians. It doesn't mean that Jewish Christians can't go to church, but it was created for non-Jewish Christians. It was created when Jesus died. The day He rose from the dead, the first day of the week, which is why we have church on Sunday, was, because, was, was the day the church started. It was inaugurated on the day of Pentecost, but it was started by Jesus and it was birthed by Jesus' death on the cross. And therefore, it's as important as, well, as far as you can say this, it's as important as our salvation and our personal redemption. It's right up there because Jesus refers to the church as His bride. We talked about this last week and we said that the bride of Christ is uh, the, 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 it's a profound mystery and Ephesians 5 gives us uh, uh, the metaphor of the church using marriage, but that marriage story is about the church, the doctrine of the church. And it says, I speak a profound mystery, but that for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one. And he says, but I'm talking about not marriage, I'm talking about Jesus and the church. That means that Jesus and the church are super glued together. They are one. You cannot separate them. You can't say, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church because that means you don't know Jesus. You can't say to me, I love you, but I don't like your wife. You don't know me if you don't know that, that she is the most incredible thing in my life, the most precious most valuable person in my entire life is Pastor Jane. I hope she's watching. <laughs> anyway, that's another story. Uh, but she's the most important thing. Now, you know, a lot of people put up pictures of their kids and that's all great. I just say, my kids are important, but they're not as important as my wife, even though my kids are flesh and blood. Even though the kids have my DNA and my blood through their veins, guess what? In God's order, my wife is more important than my children. I miss my wife more than I miss my children. What does that tell you? It tells you I love my wife 
as the number one person outside of Jesus. I know Benjamin, he's always trying to tell me, you know, ask me if he's the favourite. And I always tell him he's the equal third favourite. <laughs> equal third favourite. He said, what do you mean? Well, um, God's my favourite. Jesus is my favourite. Your mum's my second favourite by a long way. And then you three boys are my third equal favourite. And because I want them to understand that this is the way God created. If I love my kids more than my wife, I'm gonna have some challenges. If I love my kids more than her husband, I'm gonna have some challenges because it's not the way God made it. The two shall become one flesh. The children never include in that one flesh per se. It's about the husband and the wife. And I want you to know that because it's referring to Jesus and the church. Jesus and the church are one. You cannot separate them. And when you try to, you miss everything that you're meant to have. And I really believe that we need to grasp this with all our hearts. So I wanna go through some things today and share with you. Ephesians 3 says this. Now, before I get to the book of Ephesians, let me say to you, when you read the book of Ephesians, you need to read it a certain way. So let me give you... Uh, some thoughts about that. And today I just wanna say, I know as I'm talking to you, you believe all this, but I want you to get this as a conviction and I wanna today go beyond the, the, the surface, beyond the milk and get into some meat. How many think we need some meat teaching and we need to be able to dive into it? And the writer of the Hebrews says, it's time for us to go beyond the surface things, the things that we always repeat ourselves and go into some of the deeper things. Paul writes, and he says, I wanna teach you the meat, but he says, I've gotta keep going back to milk. Well, church, strap on. If you're vegan, strap in. We're about to have some meat because there are a lot of people that are spiritually vegan. And it's time for us to be, you might be physically vegan, fine, that's great, but don't be spiritually vegan. That is, I can't have any meat. I'm allergic to meat, I don't want meat. Because meat represents depth. It re represents something that's really, really important that we need to go through. So when you're reading the book of Ephesians, this is how you should read it. Don't read it like a backpacker. Oh, let me say it this way. If you're walking through Adelaide, there's two ways to go through Adelaide. You can go through as a backpacker and tr check out every street and you get a perspective about the city. But a better way to go through Adelaide to understand it is to fly over it in a helicopter. Because when you fly over it, you can see the mountains, you can see the sea, you can see the landmarks, you can see the south, you can see the north, you can see down, uh, uh, down the west, you can see all of the rivers coming in, you can see all of those things. But when you're walking through it, you only get what's up close, what's there. And so when you read the book of Ephesians, because it's full, with so many, full of so many verses like the armour of God, put on the armour of God, and we can read uh, all of that and we get up close to that, that's all great. Um, and then we can read verses like, you know, He wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we may ask, think or imagine. And that's fantastic. These are superlative verses. We, we read, you know, I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened that you may understand the, the breadth and the depth and the height of God's love for you. These are just soaring Scriptures that just elevate your heart but they give you only a small snapshot and we need to understand why did Paul write Ephesians? Who did Paul write Ephesians to? And what did he say? And why did he say it? And the truth is the reason he wrote to the book, uh, to the children, to the uh, church in Ephesus or in Turkey was this. They were non-Jewish people who'd heard about Jesus. 
who'd found Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, but thought they were second class because only the Jews were favoured and they didn't understand the church. The church had only just been created. And so when Paul is writing, he's explaining the church. He's explaining that they weren't an afterthought of God's plan, but they were part of God's mysterious plan that the church would be created so that principalities and powers would experience the wisdom of God. And he tells them who they are in Christ. But when you read it, read it with that idea of this overview of he's talking and trying to educate new Christians that are not Jewish, and he's trying to educate them about the church as well as their personal relationship with God. Now, when you read it that way, you'll read Ephesians very, very differently because you'll start to see in the book of Ephesians, the word church pop up a lot. You'll start, for instance, it says, all things are gonna be gathered under Jesus and Jesus is the, is the, you know, the, the name above all names and that He's everything and everything's gonna be given to Jesus and all authority has been given to Jesus, it says, and then it says, for the purpose of the church. So all of this authority and power that Jesus has been given has been given for a purpose. The purpose is for the church to experience all of the authority and all of the impact and all of the influence it needs. It tells me, as I look around the world, even though there are 27 million churches around the world, it tells me that while there are wonderful things happening, when we see the advent of the way our social structures are going and some of the things that are taking place, that the church is not being effective. And there's a reason why the church has not been effective. It's because we don't understand that the church is something Jesus created with His death. Therefore, it possesses the resurrection power that Jesus possessed because Jesus died to give resurrection power to the church as well as to us individually. Now, one of the pop culture misconceptions is that you're the church, I'm the church. You're not the church, I'm not the church. We're just little Christians. But together we are the church. The word gathering is the word for church. The word ecclesia, which is the Greek word for church, means gathering. Therefore, gathering is when the church is in session. You can be a parliamentarian, but there's no power till parliament's in session. Then you debate and laws are made. And the church, while I'm a Christian outside of uh, my gathering, I am the church which Jesus died for when I'm gathered together in His Name. And it's really, really important to understand it. Now, Paul writes, and he says, this is a mystery. Now, the word mystery in the Bible, who's ever come across the word mystery in the New Testament? It appears 28 times in the New Testament. It comes from the Greek word mysterion, probably not said very well, but that's how it's spelt. Um, and in the book of Ephesians, the word mystery is mentioned six times. Now, the word mystery is not like you get a Rubik's Cube and can you figure it out? That's not the kind of mystery Paul is talking about. The kind of mystery Paul is talking about is this, that God has a level of intelligence. Who believes that God's ways are higher than our ways? His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. That means His intelligence is far vastly superior to us. 
So when Paul is talking about the mystery, he's talking about how people who lack the intelligence of God could never fathom this out because it only exists in the realms of God's intelligence. In other words, God gets it. And the mystery means that occasionally God says, come on up, I'm gonna open your mind, I'm gonna blow your mind, I'm gonna allow you to see what you normally can't see and I'm gonna show you why I created the church. And Paul writes and says the church is the mystery that God held in His hand to confuse all of the principalities and powers who thought it was all about Israel and didn't realise it was about all of us as well. And he says, I'm gonna show you my manifold wisdom through the church. Now we know God's wise, but why does He use the church to display His manifold wisdom? The question is, or the, co the commentary I'd say on that is, that's what He said He would do. That means not only did Jesus die for the church, that makes it special, but God uses the church to display His wisdom to the principalities and powers. So if I don't love the church like Jesus loved the church who gave Himself to die for the church, nobody's asking you to die, at least not now. But what we're asking is this, is if Jesus could die, could we not love the church at least as much as Him? Could we not even get within cooey of Him because we'll never love it as much as He does, but we can get somewhere. And what God's saying in Paul's writing, he's saying, listen, it's a mystery, only God can give it to you, which is why a lot of people don't understand the church. This is why God has commissioned me to preach about the church because He said not many people get it. It's a mystery. And what I felt God say to me, He says, if you'll preach on it, what I'm gonna do is exactly what happened when Jesus asked His disciples, who do men say that I am? And Peter says, oh, I thought you were a rabbi. Oh, I thought you were a teacher. Oh, you're not that. You are the Son of the living God. You are Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And Jesus says, well done, Peter. That's a mystery nobody can understand unless God reveals it to you. In fact, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. I've been with you for three and a half years as flesh and blood, but your, my Father in heaven has opened the heavens, lifted your intellect up to a level that can grasp the fact that I'm the Messiah, not just a boy from Nazareth who's a good teacher. I'm actually the Messiah. And God says, I wanna do the same for you. And Jeremiah 29, 13 says this, and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. So I wanna pray right now and I wanna ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes and mind about the church. The church is not an extracurricular activity that I fit into my life. I need to build my life around the church if I wanna be the kind of Christian that experiences the power of God. Can I just say this to you? I said this in the first service. I hadn't meant to say it, it just came to me. We talk about wanting miracles in the church. Let me tell you the first place miracles are gonna start. The first place miracles are gonna start and when they're gonna start is when we understand that the church wasn't created by 12 men or by any other man, but it was created by Jesus' death on the cross. And secondly, when we love the church like Jesus loves the church, then miracles can take place. Why was it? 
where Jesus was in Nazareth, they didn't love him. They didn't love Jesus of Nazareth. They said, isn't he this carpenter's son? Isn't he, uh, uh, aren't his brothers and sisters around about us? We don't, we don't respect this guy. And because they didn't love Jesus, they didn't see any miracles. Is it no wonder around the world, people who are traditionally going to church don't see miracles? Why? Because the secret to seeing miracles is for the church to come together, but then the people who are Christians that come together love the church. When they love the church like the people in Capernaum loved Jesus, miracles flowed. When you treat Jesus, or the church, sorry, like they treated Jesus in Nazareth as somebody that doesn't really matter, doesn't really matter if you go to church, doesn't really matter, guess what? We will be diminished. We will be the shell of what God created us to be instead of being the dynamic powerhouse. So there is a responsibility on each of us to ask the Holy Spirit to give me a revelation about the church. I had people talk to me last week, just lots of people grab me and say, I've never heard that this spoken or explained, which I apologise, it's my fault for not explaining it. And, and then someone this morning who's been in our church for 30, 40 years says, when you were speaking this morning, I had a revelation I've never seen before about the church. So I'm praying right now that you will have that same experience, whether you're online or whether you're in the building, that God will give you a revelation. Who would love a revelation like Peter had about Jesus, but about the church? Come on, give us a hand wave from somebody. Right Here's the thing, who knows, who, who, who remembers the day you gave your life to Jesus? Come on, put up your hand. Can you remember how beforehand you, people would tell you about Jesus, but you didn't get it? And that day your eyes were open, you're like, really, why didn't I get it before? That's because it's a mystery that only God can reveal to you. Right, so one day I don't get it, the next day I do get it, and why did I get it? Because the Holy Spirit revealed it to me, my Father in heaven. So here's the thing that God wants to do as we go into 2022, in a world that's shaking and being shaken, in a world that has all kinds of things, if we're going to be the answer for the world that we say we are, if we're gonna be the hope of the world, we better start loving the church. When we love the church like Jesus, now you don't have to love it any more than Jesus did. But He loved it so much, He was pierced, He was hurt. His beard was plucked and he was punched and he was smashed and a crown of thorns went on his head. And as he was being beaten, knowing he could call 10,000 upon 10,000 of angels, he was not just thinking of you, he was thinking about what he was gonna create and that through the church, all these millions and billions of people would find the truth about God, that God's not mad at them, but God loves them. The only way our world's gonna know is if we love the church and we love Jesus, of course, it doesn't need to be said. So let me give you a real recap, real quick. You and I are not the church, we're Christians. Together, however, we're the church. The church didn't start because they didn't know what to do when Jesus left. It started on purpose. Number three, the word for church means gathering. Ecclesia means gathering. It's not church when I'm just listening. It's part of 
the information of the gathering, but the gathering is what church means. Board members have status when there's no meeting. They only have power when there's a gathering. The church is the same. Number four, you can't separate Jesus and the church. You can't say, Jesus, I love you, but I don't like the church or I tolerate the church. It's an oxymoron. If you love Jesus with all your heart, you will love the church. And if you don't love the church, it shows you don't love Jesus with all your heart or you're immature in your love of Jesus. There are things that I've learnt about Jane because of my love for her that I didn't know. There are truths that I've learnt since I got married because of my love for her that I didn't know. And so if I love her, I will learn. If I don't love her, I'll never learn. Make sense? So we need to love the church. You don't know God if you don't love His bride. Because if you did know God, you'd know how much He loves His bride. You can't love me and not love Jane because I love Jane and you offend me when you don't love my wife. Or you don't know me because you don't know how fiercely loyal I am to her. Jesus was given authority over all things for the church, we said that. Another thing is the church is like the ark. The ark took people that were willing to get on board across stormy waters in a difficult place to a place of safety. The church is like the ark and the door of the ark stayed open until that moment when everything changed. And the doors of grace are open to everybody to come on board until it's time. So we wanna make sure we get on board because the church is like the ark. And as I was thinking about the ark, I thought to myself, it seems so romantic, the ark. It seems so phenomenal, the ark. It seems so princely and so beautiful. But how many believe it stunk on the ark? How many think there was a lot of methane gas on the ark? How many believe with all those animals in there pooping all day, every day, that, I, that Noah had a bad time getting a good sense of air conditioning and air and his whole world was surrounded by animal and the poop of animals day and night. Why is it then we expect the church to be just pristine and perfect? You see, I don't love my children, well, my grandchildren now. I'd say if my children are still pooping, there's a problem. But when my children were little, I didn't love my children less because they pooped. I didn't go, oh, you filthy little boy. How dare you poop like that? I didn't bring you into the world to poop. Of course not. It goes with the package, does it not? A child vomits, a child poops, and a child sleeps, and a child eats. There is your first year of life, right? And we love it. So why would we expect for there not to be poop in the church? Why would we expect it not to vomit every now and again? Listen, this is, we, we, we shouldn't love it based on its performance, we should love it based on its intrinsic value. 
I don't love my children. You know, I, I, you know what, Jane, these kids have got dark hair. I don't love dark-headed kids. I was blonde. I'm looking for blondes. And I accept all of them. It's the same with my wife. You know, you know Pastor Jane, when we and I get married, she would always bring attention to her defects. Now, there weren't many, but I hadn't noticed any. Why? Because the Bible says love covers a multitude of defects or sins. So the more I love Jane, the less defects I see or notice. She would always bring attention to them and I'd say, stop doing that. You're turning me into a critic of you that looks at your performance and your value through the eyes of your deeds and good works and the way you put your makeup on, the way you do your hair and the way you do, your, you know, all that kind of stuff. I, you're causing me to judge you the way the world judges so superficially everything. You're choosing me, but when I, when I bought into you, Jane, I bought into all of you. I did my assessments a long time ago and I decided you were worth the entire purchase. And so keep, stop telling me about your fat days. I don't wanna know about your fat days. I don't know about your ugly days. You don't look ugly to me. You don't look fat to me. You look beautiful to me. You're everything to me. God's even allowed my eyesight to diminish over time so you still keep looking good to me. It's my theory about why we lose our eyesight as we get older. Don't, don't get so shocked. I think it's fantastic to be able to look through soft focus lens and whether she's 125, she still looks 30 based on my eyesight. It's amazing. I just make a funny, but the point is this, Jane, stop highlighting the weaknesses that you perceive you have. This is what I like, this is what I don't like. I don't like people that highlight the weaknesses of churches. Be part of the answer, sure, but don't be part of the problem. It's one of the reasons why I don't criticise other churches. I don't criticise any other church. You know why? God's job is to judge them, not mine. My job is to love them. Even the Apostle Paul wrote this. Let me read to you what the Apostle Paul wrote, if I can find it somewhere down here. It says this. It says, Philippians 1.17, some people preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely. However, what's the problem? All that matters, says Paul, is that in every way, whether by false motives or true, false motives or true, Paul writes, Christ is preached. Now, it'd be better if we did it out of true motives, no doubt about that. But the point is, Jesus is preached. That's the point. So when we start nitpicking, and when we, and I'm saying this because we know people like this, not because you're like this. This is not at all a rebuking message. This is a teaching message. So we understand, I'm trying to exhort you to love the church more than people say you should, because then you'd be actually a scriptural person, not just a worldly person, if you love the church like Jesus did, is I want you to understand that when we, when we don't go all in, it means we don't love. 
And that I love my wife, therefore I don't notice all those things because they don't really matter in the big scheme of things because we love her and love covers a multitude of sins. And Paul writes, he says, listen, it doesn't matter whether people are preaching out of bad motives or good motives. It doesn't matter. Jesus has preached. The church is being built. That's what matters. And rather than me being a, a, a critique, a critiquer or a critic, depending on what attitude you have, we all call ourselves critiquers, positive, uh, you know, feedback. <laughs> Amazing how much negativity gets shared in the positive feedback. But the point is, I don't have to give my wife much negative feedback because my love covers everything that I would think are things that I could find wrong with her. Love determines everything in my relationship with Jesus, in my relationship with the church, and I need to love the church with all of my heart. God wants us to love Him. That's why I don't criticise other people. Let me tell you one reason why I love the church. Another reason I love the church is my mum and dad never criticised the church. They were missionaries from Papua New Guinea, so they could speak in another language. So if they wanted to talk about Mr. So-and-so or Mr. So-and-so, I don't know if they did, but if they wanted to, they could talk in another language. And my brother and I, Russell and I, never heard them speak negatively. I did hear them speak once. I must admit, I did hear my dad speak once badly about somebody. Once in an entire lifetime, that's pretty decent. And my dad said it once. I was 12 years of age. I heard, it was only about a minute before my mum corrected him and said, get into Pigeon English. The boys are listening. And you know what? I thought about that pastor and I hated that pastor. I hated that pastor because my dad didn't like him. And I realise that's why we've never spoken badly about the church, about people in the church. There is plenty of people to speak badly about. As in, you have people you can speak badly about. I have people I can speak badly about. But what about if we stop doing that and we just love the church and the fact that we're all being changed into, from glory to glory. The world wants to pull everything apart. We should be different. And one of our differences is that we love. We love, we love, we love. And whether we preach out of ambition or out of selfish motive, according to Paul, what's the problem? The fact that Jesus is being preached is the best thing of all. So that's why I don't criticise the Anglicans or the Catholics or the Baptists or whoever it might be. I don't do it. I will not do it. So there's enough people criticising them already. Why should I join the crew? That's easy. I'm gonna love the church, no matter it's a Baptist church, a church of 20, a church of 100, church of 5,000, I'm gonna love the church. Why? Because Jesus died for that church. Oh my goodness. So let me talk to you about if we really love the church, what should we do? The word love in the New Testament, we know this, if you've been around for more than five minutes, is the Greek word agape. There are many words, philio, eros, and the other one, there's another one I can't remember now. But agape means a pure, willful, sacrificial love that intentionally desires another's highest good. Think about that. Do you have agape love? Do you have a pure, willful, sacrificial love that intentionally desires another's highest good? How are you going? If you had to rate yourself out of 10 for agape, where would you come? Agape is used 200 times in the New Testament. 
Agape is not born out of emotions or feelings or familiarity or attraction. You see, here's the problem, right? We've learnt to love our church. I mean, you know, every church. This is what I was saying to Pastor Shana during the break. The problem with the church worldwide is really we're running circuses. Let me explain. Because people in the church don't love the church and haven't been taught how to love the church, they then have to make their decisions about what they like based on circus tricks. Well, that church serves coffee. Ooh, circus trick. My church is better than yours. We got better elephants. We have tigers that jump through the air. We have high trapeze artists that can do double backflips with a pike and a half turn. We can do all of those things. Our church is better than your church. And so then what happens is all we do is we go from that circus to that circus and the pastor becomes the ringmaster. Oh, make sure it's fantastic here. And oh, we're gonna get the you know, headless person to come out here to wow every person. Wow, we got the, you know, I won't go any further so I might offend anyone. But the point is, we start having tricks. The churches start having to have tricks to attract people. I want you to love the church, no matter whether it's a group of 20 people in Udnadatta, doesn't matter, or whether it's thousands of people and influencers. If we love the church, then all those things are just amazing. Here's the thing, if I don't love my, if I love my wife without makeup, when she's just woken up, It's pretty easy to love her when she's got makeup on. If I can only love her when she's got makeup on, I better hope she's a good singer. You heard about the guy that was gonna marry two women, he wasn't quite sure who to marry, the beautiful girl or the girl with talent. The girl who could sing wasn't really beautiful, very plain, but boy, she had the voice of an angel. The other girl was beautiful but no talent. So of course, being a good Christian, he decided to marry character and talent. Went away on their honeymoon and she wakes up the next morning without her makeup. He takes a look at her and he's like, quick, sing me a song. <laughs> and that's how we treat the church. Quick, sing me a song. Because you're ugly till you guys can perform. If I love my wife with only makeup, then guess what, I've got a real problem. Does that make sense? That doesn't mean the church shouldn't try to do its best. I might like it when my wife wears makeup, but I don't love her any less when she doesn't. Makes me feel better about myself. No. <laughs> Truth and jest. You know what I'm saying? We're gonna love the church, love her, just because Jesus died for her. Not because the coffees are better at paradise. Not because the music and Philippe out there with his tat and his real cool jeans and he's, you know. As much as I'm jealous of that. He's got hair as well. Look, the point is this. Quick, Phil, sing me a song. Quick, serve me a coffee. Oh, I go to that church because they've got an LED screen. Ooh. 
We just strip it all back. It's a group of people getting together. And if we don't love Jesus and love the church, we're toast, everybody. The world will not know Jesus unless we love the church. Now, moving on because I'm getting uh, carried away. Here's the point. Um, this is the point I want you to get. Last week, I talked about the church being like uh, the delivery system. We showed the picture of Amazon. By the way, I got something from Amazon Australia this week. I was so happy. Restored my faith in Amazon in Australia. And I received something as a present at my door and I was so happy. It was amazing. I love Adelaide. I tell you, I've had, as I said before, four pizzas this week. It's just been the best. Ham and pineapple, by the way. For all those that are just snobs that don't believe in ham and pineapple, I'm a ham and pineapple person. Just want you to know. You need fruit and veggies, you know, on, in, in everything on there. Anyway, the church is the delivery system of grace. Without the church, the non-Jewish people couldn't get grace. Here's the difference. The humble delivery truck is the difference between what I could get and what I do get. For people out there, the difference between the grace of God, the favour of God, the purpose of God, the love of God is the delivery truck, the humble delivery truck. It's not how good God is, it's whether the truck works and can deliver grace to the neighbourhood. The church is the truck, the delivery system that takes all of God's treasury to someone's place and brings them to Christ. So we talked about that. Today I wanna talk about how the church is the body of Christ. Now we've heard lots of sermons about the body of Christ, so I'm gonna give you something new. I'm not gonna talk about hands and skeletons and all that kind of stuff. I'm gonna talk about the other word or the meaning behind the body of Christ and it is this, the body of Christ means the embodiment of Christ. The embodiment of Christ. I was going down an elevator the other day with my stepmom, Del, and we'd just uh, gone upstairs to fill an application in for my dad and we're going down the elevator, elevator, the elevator, and a person, a resident from the apartments came in and she saw Del and she saw me and she said, oh, you must be Andrew's son. And I said, why? Just when you smiled, you just looked like him. So when I'm there, I'm the embodiment. You sound like him, Ashley, you smile like him. I'm the embodiment of my dad. My dad wasn't there, but she thought there's a connection, she could tell. It's like a twin. You know, if you've ever seen a, a TV show on TV called The Property Brothers, this brothers here are twins, as you can tell. Here's the thing, when you meet one, it's like meeting the other. You're not sure which one you're meeting. If that's Fred and John, I don't know what their names are, but if you meet Fred, you might think you're meeting John. If you meet John, you might think you're meeting Fred. The body of Christ means this. When people meet the church, they're not sure if they got Jesus or the church. We're the embodiment. Jesus said, I'm leaving. I'm not coming back till an appointed time. Until that time, the only way the world will know that you're my disciples, the only way that they'll know that I'm real is when they meet the body which embodies me. In other words, Jesus said, I'm present when you're gathered. And when people meet the church, they meet Jesus. If they don't meet the church, they may never meet Jesus. Because Jesus created the church to be the embodiment of Himself who wouldn't be physically present. He said, when people encounter you because I'm there in the midst of your gathering, guess what? They'll think that Jesus is real. They'll know I'm real and they'll accept God into their lives. 
Think about this, when you watch TV and you watch shows on TV, there's no such thing called a missing body show. It's always called a missing person show. Why is it called a missing person show? I'll tell you why. Because we cannot separate between a body and a person. The two go together. Give you an example. When I do funerals, and I've done numbers of them, when the body's at the front in a coffin, everybody is, is, is grieving, but it's not the same as when they go to the cemetery and we do the graveside service and they watch that coffin start to disappear down into the hole. You can put that picture up. You know, when it disappears down into the hole. At that point, people start to cry and grieve. Why? Because they realise their person is going, but the person's not going, the body's going. It's like parents who've, you know, I grew up when the Beaumont children uh, mysteries, you know, lasted forever. It was on every Sunday mail almost for, you know, for 20, 30, 40 years. And, 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 the, and the tragedy of all that is this, the parents just want one thing. They may have accepted that the child has died, but they wanna see the body. Why? Because that brings closure. If they don't get the body, they stay with an un... It's not closed any... It's not closed, it's not resolved. They've got to see the body to get closure. Why is that? Because when you find the body, you feel like you find the person. The difference between people finding Jesus or not, they're trying to find the person of Jesus and when they find the body of Jesus, they feel like they found the person of Jesus. That's why the church has to love the church because when we love the church, guess what? The body of Jesus represents the person of Jesus and when people meet the church, they go, I've just met Jesus. Most people get saved in a church, not at home. Why is that? There are exceptions, but why is it 90% plus? Because you feel Jesus in this room. I felt Him this morning. When we were worshipping together, I felt the presence of Jesus. It made me feel better about life. It made me know He's in control. It made me not worry about the future. Because when I met Jesus through the body, I feel Jesus as if He's actually in the room. All right. I think that deserved more, than, more of a clap than that, but anyway. <laughs> this is meat, right? I hope, you're not, you need, I hope you don't need a toothpick yet. Oh, I'm just taking in too much meat. Cut it up, I'm trying to cut it up as best I can. We don't want milk anymore, we want to get the, the word. Here's the thing, the meat, the meat is simple, by the way. Love the church, like Jesus loved the church. What did Paul write? Nobody hates their own body, but nourishes it. Let's put that scripture up. Nobody hates their body, but loves it and cherishes it and nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. How can Christ nourish the church? Through the Christians who say they're part of it. Our job is to nourish the church on behalf of Jesus because we are bridesmaids as Christians as part of the bride of Christ collectively. So how do we do that? Let me tell you how we nurture it. You ready? We nurture it in this, in this way. In other words, we've got to think about how do we nurture the church? I'm not just going to the church to use her for what I can get. I'm going to the church to nurture her, nourish the body. Here's my question to you. What are you doing to nourish influences? What are you doing to nourish? Jesus nourishes the church and He's looking for you to help Him. 
Second thing is prefer the church. Show preferential affection for the church above other things. Jesus loved the church so much. Jesus preferred the church before himself. I'll die for her so she doesn't have to. Jesus preferred the church above himself. He loved the church so much he died for it. Number three, be loyal and defend the church, everybody. It's time to defend the church. If we love somebody, we defend them. You speak bad about my wife and you watch out what's gonna come out of my mouth. I forget I'm a pastor for just five minutes when you talk about my wife in a bad way. Why? Because I will defend my wife. Don't you speak whatever words about my wife. Don't you sledge my wife. She's my wife. Do you understand? Fighting words are when you start sledging my wife. I think God feels the same when we sledge his wife. Be loyal. Let's defend it. Let's read what Paul writes real quick. Acts 20, 20. Great verse to remember. Know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will rise up and distort the truth to follow, draw people away to draw away disciples after them. In other words, he says now, be shepherds of God's flock. He's talking to the the, the church leaders and so on. Here's the thing, church, in 2022, we need to defend the church, be loyal to the church, not just loyal to Jesus, loyal to His wife. Right, we kind of of felt bad about it. where's Where's our theological backup? Well, here it is, I'm giving it to you over these weeks. This is the truth, this is how the Bible talks about it. I remember a young guy many years ago, this has been around for 100 years, said, oh, you know, the Bible doesn't talk about much about church. I'm like, mate, you don't read your Bible very much and you don't understand how to read the Bible, obviously. Who did, who did Paul write the letters to, to Galatians? To the church in Galatia, to the church in Ephesians, to the, in Ephesus, to the church in Philippi, to the church in Corinth, to the church, keep on going and going and going. The whole of the New Testament's about the church and Jesus. Yep. <laughs> All right, defend the church. Don't let people speak badly about the church. They might as well blaspheme Jesus too then. It's the same thing. Number four, serve the church. God's given you gifts and abilities. And if we love the church, we serve the church. My love language is serving. So if I wanna show love to my wife, I I serve her. Now she prefer gifts, but I serve her. And hopefully I'll buy her gifts as well. But serve the church. This is the last thing I'll say. You know, we've all got different gifts, different abilities. And I remember when my boys were teenagers, they were wrecking the house. Right, they were just not caring about the house, scraping and having fights in the house, muck around fights, break this, break that, have their rooms like a disgusting Garbo tip from Wingfield. It just was just, that was my house. And I said to Pastor Jane, just shut the door and pretend it's not there. We felt like we were Noah with all the animals. And I sat the boys down one day because I wanted to get the message through. I said, listen boys, did you know this house that mum and dad and you live in one day we're gonna pay it off. We're still paying. One day we're gonna pay it off and we're gonna give this house to you as an inheritance. This is your inheritance. Don't wreck your inheritance. Look after your inheritance. It'll be worth more. 
It'll be worth more when it's passed to you down generations and then you can have it for your kids and you can sell it and whatever and split it amongst yourselves. But guess what? It's your inheritance. See, I look at people in our church here, I think of people like Pastor Seth. Who thinks, who loves Pastor Seth, our youth pastor? Yeah. Dan Menelau, John and Krista's kids. John and Krista are missing. Please note that. I'm noticing I haven't seen them this morning. They're normally sitting over there. Black Mark, Pastor Greg, put that against them there. No, I'm only joking. Dan Menelau is their son. He's a youth pastor. Uh, Josh Mercarella, the youth pastor in the city. Pastor Janine at Salisbury. Pastor Josh, who grew up in this church. To his parents unwisely took him to another one. But otherwise, he came back. That's a good thing. Pastor Tony, whose parents were in the first service, who just amazing people. Pastor David, up in, the, in, the, up in, the, in Mount Barker. Pastor Doran. All of them grew up in this house. So the thing was, somebody, that doesn't mean everybody's kids are meant to be pastors. That's not what I'm saying. I just want you to know though, that when we value the house and we love the church, we create out of the church for generation after generation, leadership development and people rise up to be the leaders of the church. Our church is 100 years old this year, 100, started in 1922. I'm so grateful for previous generations that built buildings, that raised up good leaders, that had youth groups that worked on it, that loved the church because they love the church, we even have a church. We're a church that's so impactful in our city and that's because people love the church. Can I say that our future is dependent if we understand that this is our inheritance, if we understand that the churches we're planning are our inheritance, if we understand the young leaders that are rising up are our inheritance, if we understand all of those things, guess what? We will be able to look joyfully at the future and see the churches growing and continue to grow and grow and grow. We were once at one little church just here, now we're at 11 campuses on our way to 200. Guess what? That's because we've loved the the church. And I just want to say to you, those youth pastors, those leaders, those campus pastors didn't just arrive from somewhere else. We've had to import some people, but not many people. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's better when they come up from within the house. Sons and daughters of the house. We have a beautiful church, an amazing church. I'm not saying any of this because there's anything wrong. Everything's great. But I want you and I coming out of COVID to help people that have dropped out of church to get the reason why they should be in church for us to help them understand it's not about their relationship with Jesus only. It's about Jesus telling them they should be in church because He created it for them by dying for them. And there must be a reason they need to be in church. It's for their health. Jesus died so the Gospel could be preached to the whole world. The church is the only vehicle created by God to do that. And I want us to pray right now as our time is up, but I want us to pray for the church. Who's felt over the last few weeks a new appreciation for the church from the Bible and from Scripture, not just because you love our church, love the church, wherever it is. Even love people from Victoria that are in churches. I mean, that's stretching love, but you gotta love the Victorian church. I'm only joking. So we don't love them, no. No, we do love them. I want us to pray and we're gonna finish and Pastor Alice is gonna come and close the service, but I want us to just pray for the church. I'm gonna pray over our church. I love our church. I love the church. I don't just love our church, I love the church. I've been a national uh, director over a thousand churches. I've been a state superintendent over hundreds of churches. I love the church. But I didn't, I didn't, 
I'm not the guy who says, love the church because I'm a pastor. I used to work in the bank. I had a great career in front of me and then God called me to lead the church. And I love it so much that I ended up buying into the church and becoming a leader. I'm not telling you this because I have to. I'm telling you this because this is how I got here. I love the church. Jesus loves the church. The Father loves the church. The Holy Spirit loves the church. The Holy Spirit was so involved in the birth of the church and the inauguration of the church. And we're gonna love the church. If we don't love the church, we won't see the miracles that we want. We're not gonna see the world change unless we love the church, nurture the church, nourish the church, prefer the church. I've always bought my houses near the church. Whenever I bought a house, it's always been near the church. Why? Because I wanna put the church as a preference in my world so that I can be engaged and be involved. Of course, we've got internet these days, so you can, you know, it's, it's different, but nevertheless, it's a priority decision. I pray this sermon has blessed you, encouraged you, and inspired you. You know, we may never have met, I may not know you, but God knows you. And I'll tell you today, God loves you. That even before you knew about Him, He loved you. And He has a plan and a purpose for your life. You know, so many of us do life on our own, trying to lead our life in a way that finds answers and finds the peace and finds the joy we're looking for, but we come up short. But God knew that you needed rescuing, that you needed saving, that you needed His love. So He sent His Son, Jesus, to come and pay the price for our mistakes. He lived a perfect life, but knowing we couldn't, He said, I will take their place. So He died and rose again so that His death could pay the penalty for my mistakes in my past and His life could make a way so that I could have life. I believe that when you believe in what Jesus did and when you invite Him to be Lord of your life, you can experience forgiveness, peace, hope, joy, purpose and life like you've never known before. It's not about what we've done or who we're not. It's about that we have a God who's good, who can turn things for good and loves you. He's a father, he's a friend, and you can invite him into your life today by simply saying this prayer after me. I'm gonna say this prayer and wherever you are, wherever you're watching around the world, pray this prayer with me. Maybe you once knew God and you walked away. You know what, maybe he's getting your attention today to say, come back into relationship with me. Maybe you've known religion, but never a real genuine relationship with God. Why don't you say this prayer too? And I believe this can be the beginning of a great new day. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for loving me and giving your life for me. I pray you forgive me for my past and you walk with me into my tomorrow. Let me know your grace, your forgiveness, your peace, your purpose, your joy and your hope into my life. I ask you to lead me and guide me from this day forward. Be Lord of who I am in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer today. I believe that as you did, the peace, the grace, and the love of God comes into your life. You know what? The past is real, but it doesn't have to dictate your future. Let the love, the grace, and the Word of God go with you from this day forward. And I believe the best days are ahead for you. If you prayed this prayer or you want to know more, maybe you're on the journey, why don't you flick us an email so we can send you some material about following Jesus. We can maybe connect you with a local church near you that you can do life with, get good people around you, and we would love to pray with you. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer. I'm so glad you're on the journey of following Jesus. I'm so glad you listened today. God bless.